I told you yesterday or last week that when I kind of began this, I wanted to talk to you about things that I felt like the Holy Spirit had talked to me a long time ago, 20, 30 years ago. And there's some things that I can talk about in a setting. There's some things that I cannot. But after doing this like for 33 years, I mean, I could just tell you so long how lovely you are, how handsome you are. I mean, after a while, I mean, I could just, I could just go so long telling you that God is with you and God's for you. And, 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 and I know you believe that, but I've always wanted to know more. And I've always felt like there was things that people was not telling me. And I asked a lot of questions and I didn't get any answers. And so I want to answer questions you have never asked. And I want to answer some questions you wish you never would have asked me. <laughs> but here this morning, I'll tell you that, that God is in the business by his Holy Spirit. To, he said, I will lead you and guide you. I will teach you. I will educate you. I'll instruct you. And that's where we are this morning. Divided waters was, this whole analogy is that when, when the waters divided, when carriers of the word of God appeared on the scene, not music instruments, not magic tricks, not well-wishers and good luckers, when the word of God came in the whole word of God, waters parted. And we talked about waters means something that divides us, something that keeps us from reaching the other portion. And all these other things are wonderful, but we're, we're, we're getting down to, you know me, I'm, I'm, I'm a word guy. I, I like to preach the word. That's all I want to do. And, and it makes some people so mad, they'll stomp out of here. And they're still stomping today. Not like today, but because that, that it, before long, I, I want to discuss some things that Christ talked about. But divided waters is when the carriers of the word of God. And so we began with Joshua. We could even begin with Moses. The Lord said, but Joshua, the Ark of the Covenant, and the waters parted, and he passed from one side to the other. Elijah's mantle, God spoke, and the mantle was so covered in the anointing of his word that he later on struck the, the banks and the waters parted. Now you say, how long? If you don't know this, from the time that he spoke on the mountain, but the time that he left Elijah, it was almost 11 years. So don't get the idea that he spoke something into this mantle and 15 days later or two days later, the mantle was so glowing with the word of God that anything had touched it made it parted almost 11 years because Elijah and Elisha were partners for 10 years. And Elijah never performed one miracle when Elijah, when Elijah joined him. So that anointing in his mantle had been going on for 10 solid years. And we got to the baptism of Jesus. And we talked about the baptism of Jesus that waters parted. And so we talked about all these things as making a passage from one point to the next. And we know that on that day in water baptism, that we know that it wasn't necessarily the means of salvation. It was a sign of salvation. But what he was doing spiritually was he was parting the water. When, when the body of Jesus went down, waters divided because he was the word of God incarnated. He wasn't just something in a box and something in a mantle. He was the true living word of God 
In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word of God dwelt among us and became flesh. And when he hit the water, the waters began to park. Same Jordan River. And so the idea, the question that you didn't ask, what was the spiritual significance of the waters parting in the baptism of Jesus? And I'm glad you asked. So if you're getting this idea because you was raised in a, in a denominational church that water baptism is, is the way to salvation, eh, that's a wrong answer. If that was the deal, the Lord should have just been a water hose, a sprinkler system, instead of a human being. He's given you a spiritual sign that through the ages that has been neglected by the church. It's more than just water's parting. It's more than just going down under. It's more than being raised up as the Apostle Paul. There's something more to that. So what was it? What was so important and significant about when Jesus hit the waters, the waters parted. Can we all agree? Anybody here been baptized? Can you agree that when you hit the waters, the waters parted? And according to your honoredness, I left you underwater for a while. Huh? Yeah. And Mike Boyette, I quoted the whole book of Psalms 150 while he was under. There were some bubbles going on, but it wasn't. He was just amening me what he was doing. So what is the spiritual significance of water's parting? So here we go. Isaiah chapter 57, verse 20 and 21. But the wicked are like the troubled sea, the Hebrew word of troubled waters, when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Now, every once in a while, don't ever say this in my presence. I'll hear it on television, and I'll always correct them. There's a, a kind of a slang going around that says there's no rest for the weary. That's not what the Scripture says. If you hear anybody in church or in the news media say, well, there's no rest for the weary, that's not even biblical because Jesus said in Matthew 11, 20, and 29, he said, come to me, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn in me. And I will give you rest for your, not only rest for your heart, but I will give you rest for your minds. So to even say that there's no rest for the weary, sure there is. It's Christ. But that's not what this is saying. He said, there is no rest for the wicked. And the wicked, where we get a word for wicker, wicker lamps, wicker furniture, something that one time was straight and now that it's twisted. It's twisted. He's talking about the, the mankind being wicked. It is a Greek word called perverse. We got this crazy, not only transgender, but this, this pronoun problem. You know why? Because they have left the, the contents of Scripture. And you better be careful as believers that is little by little, precept upon precept, that we grow in the nature of God, but it's precept upon precept that we can decline. It's just a little bit here, and it's a little bit there, and it's a little bit there, and there's nothing wrong. They want us to get along, but really they want us to go along. I'm not going along. 
And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm probably not going to get along. If it is not in Scripture, I'm not in it. And so that's why there's not thousands of people here, and that's why we're not all. I understand. It's okay. But if, if, but if, we, base, if we base success in the Bible according to the men and, and their attendance, Jesus failed miserably. So, so the Bible says that wicked people, they may not have started out being a knucklehead, but they become like wicker. They got twisted in their thinking and their thoughts. They went to school and somebody began to question creation. Somebody began to question, well, is a man a man? Can, can a man be married to another man? And all these twistings. And now then what happens is the church of Pergamos, the revelation, Pergamos, entire government and Gomez' marriage, that the church is married to the government. If you're not careful in Revelation, the church of Pergamos, it means this, that the church has consummated with the ideas and the policies of what the government says is good, it's good. I'm going to tell you right now, right now, I have a, a license to preach, and I'm going to tell you, abortion, whether it be in the beginning or outside the womb or the head cradles out of the mother's womb, is killing a child. It's murder. And they're trying to pass laws, and it's okay. And I'm not, I'm not on a soapbox. That's next week. But we really, we, when you pull that handle, you need to ask the question. It's not a Republican thing. It's not a Democratic thing. It better be a God thing. And I understand not everybody's perfect, but we better be careful when we, as the people of God, ordain and license the murdering of innocent babies. Now, that's it. That's it. Whether you like it or don't like it, don't care. We don't have a right to kill babies. And don't tell me it's a sin of sin because I'll just come back and slap Jesus out of you. There's degrees of sins of punishment. We have this, we have this in, in, in the Old Testament. The same sin for jaywalking is not the same punishment for capital murder. We know that. So the idea this morning, wicked people, perverted people, twisted people, not only are they wicked, but they want to create wickedness in you. The wicked one. He's perverted. He's twisted. What used to be straight and true now is twisted. So now then, can you prove this? Well, you know I can. You know I can. This is found in Luke chapter number four, verse 28 through 30. Jesus is beginning his ministry, I guess. He's going to the synagogue. He's there with his disciples. And for some mistake, they hand him a scroll. Big mistake. I mean, everybody's, everybody's read their little part and their little poem, and they said, don't, now you read this, and then you read this, and, and they hand it to Jesus. And when he begins to read this, he said, so all those that were in the synagogue, when they heard these things, and he's reading right out of Isaiah. He's not making things up. It's nothing from the National Choir. He's reading about Isaiah 61. And all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, they were filled with wrath. How can you be filled with wrath when all you're doing is reading scripture. Verse 29. And they rose up to thrust him out of the city and they led him to the brow on the hill, which was the city's bill, and that they may throw him down over the cliff. The King James says, and they rose up 
to grab him, to throw him off the mountain. This is where they threw the first apostle John in the first church at Ephesus. They threw him over the ridge of the cliff to kill him. Church leaders did. What a church. So they did the same thing when he read Isaiah 61. The religious leaders, I want to clear this up with you. These people that knew the law, they carried the law, they carried the Bible, they were religious leaders. We're not talking about pimps, plumbers, and prostitutes. We're talking about the, the scribes and the referees of the church setting or the Jewish synagogue setting. And when they heard him read Isaiah 61, they were so filled with wrath that they all jumped up to grab him, to throw him over the side of the cliff. <coughs> Can that please sink in? And look what happens. Verse 30. So passing through the midst of them, he went his way. So you had this mob of angry, wicked men that want to kill Christ before his time. And what did he, the Bible says, angry, wicked men are like waters. And all they do is boil up and stir up and they modify clear waters. And Jesus is facing this mob of wicked men, this mob of wicked waters. And what does he do? He passes right through them. And by passing through them, what does it mean? That when he went right in the middle of them, what happened? Waters parted. He didn't pole jump. He didn't high jump. He didn't get a rocket propelled something and shoot him over. As he hit the waters of wicked men, waters parted. Warning that when we carry and deliver the word of God, some may be offended. The Greek word for may is will. And they seem to part from your path. When you really, when you really are carriers of the full word of God and not in judgment or condemning, you know, we, and living at home, your father and your mother was probably a little strict on you. Some of you, they should have been a little stricter probably. And there's no perfect parents. You learn that out because you become a parent yourself. But any instruction you give your children, you're not one to destroy their joy or happiness. You're one to set boundaries that they can have life and life abundantly and be saved. Well, when you become carriers of the word of God, not in pride or arrogancy, but carriers of the word of God, that God has said certain things, you're going to find out that people will part out of your path. You're going to find out the people that you used to be friends with are not your friends. Hello? You're going to find people to come to this church, and I mean, oh, we're here. I'll be here till they bury me. Well, evidently, they're dead and gone because they're not here. You know why? Because it's the word that gets them. I do this intentionally. I think we have some of the best singers and musicians you can find anywhere. I really do. I really do. But I do this intentionally because I don't want you to come or anybody else come because of great music. I think we have the most beautiful praise and worship leader anybody can have, but I don't want you to come just to see her. I think we got one of the greatest drummers that God has ever given a church, but I just don't want you to come hear him. 
I'm glad they're here. And I'm glad we got the most oldest living bass player here. I'm, I mean, I mean, he ought to be in a museum somewhere. But I don't want you to come say, oh, I'm not going to see that oldest bass player known to mankind. I mean, that's not, I intentionally do this. I intentionally make this all secondary. And even though it's important, but I make it secondary because I want to know, are you coming for the word or are you coming to be entertained? And if you're coming to be entertained, you won't stay here long. But if you're hungry, the Bible said, bless are you that hunger and thirst for righteousness sake. It doesn't mean you're there now, but I'm hungry for it. I'm thirsty for it. I want to know more. I'm tired of a big salesman throwing a big sales pitch. And it's a lemon. It's a lemon doctrine. I can't live it and they can't live it. So why are they kind of panning off on me? I want you to come because of the word of God. And you're going to find out when you come here and you start absorbing the word of God in truth and getting things in content and context, I'm going to make you mad. I got a gift. You know that. You know that. I'm going to say things that will just absolutely make your head spin around, but it's okay. At least you're thinking. Oh, he makes me so mad, but I'm going back to see what he's got to say next week. I understand. I understand. But this is not the step for wives, church. I mean, this is not a bunch of cookie cutters. I mean, God wants our heart and our mind to expand and grow in him that, that we ask questions and, and things now make sense that has been in the fog for a whole life. Amen. Some of you are just, we, we talked about this, but it doesn't matter. So these people come our way and we say things, but the word of God says, and now then they'll say things like, well, when did you get so holy? Who died and left you, God? And I've, I've had them all. It's okay. It's okay. I've never been a clothesline preacher. That means try to string you up. Never. But I will tell you, you know, if you're smart, you wouldn't do that. And let's don't do that. Let's, let's adhere to the word of God. Let's get a hold of it. Proverbs chapter three. Let's tie it around our neck. Now, some of you, I tie it around your neck. and I'm trying to pull a little harder, but you know what I mean. It doesn't matter. So what happens is the word offense by definition, because we become offensive to them. When you begin to preach the word of God and teach the word of God, we become offensive. Webster's Dictionary says offensive means to be unpleasant, me, unliked, me, unwanted, that would be me, irritating, that would be Ron Edge, <laughs> and hated. This is how Webster defines offensive. I've, I've had a lot of people come to this church through the years and they got offended. And all I did was what Jesus did. I stood up and I read the scriptures in Isaiah 61 and demons started just rising up within them and they couldn't take it. Just couldn't take it. And off they went. And I understand I understand. I really do in the nicest, kindest way. And the truth of the matter is that, that, that there are churches on every street corner. But I want to ask the question this morning, and I want to tell you, because somebody asked me about being offensive, because sometimes I've irritated you. 
I know you're not going to believe that. And sometimes I've made you feel a little uncomfortable through Scripture. And sometimes I got a little bit of made you feel a little unwanted, unliked, and, and sometimes that there's some people, hopefully not you, you just downright hated me. It happens. And the reason why you hate me is not because that for any other reason, but I, I took a position on the Word of God. What is the most offensive doctrine in the Scripture? And I'm going to begin it today. And for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about this. What is the most offensive? What is the most unpleasant? What is the most unliked? What is the most unwanted? What is the most irritating? And what is the most hated doctrine in the church by church people on Sunday mornings? And don't you say it's the doctrine of demons and seducing spirits because it is not. Can I say something before you turn your wig around backwards? Religion is the last stage of blasphemy towards God. Religion is the last and final stage of blasphemy against God. Wow. For some of you, you think being religious is, is a step up. No. I would rather you have demons and devils more than a religious spirit. Because next week, I'll give you the answer to this, and you'll need to know. And somebody claims to be religious is telling you that that is the highest form of blasphemy that you can come because with their religion comes all their quirks. Ooh. That's why most churches are mean. I'm not mean. I'm firm, but I'm fair. That's what Mark said one time. He said, you're firm, but you're fair. Yeah. Unfair. So what happens is, what is the most offensive doctrine? And we're going to begin. This is found in John 7, verse 7. Jesus, I won't give you the answer today. You got to come back next week. Jesus on the Mount of, Sermon on the Mountain, he's given his discourse, his disciples have now kind of coagulated with him. And now he is just beginning. And watch what he says. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me. Now, can we, can we clarify who the world is? Is he speaking about people that never go to church and people that doesn't claim God. Is he talking about the, the Grecians and pagans? No, he's referred to the world as the religious world because he's speaking to a crowd that he loved, but there is a, there is a group of mobsters behind him which wants to kill him because you just found out in, in the passage that they had plans to take him and throw him off the, the side of the cliff. 
So he says with his disciples, first thing, and he says this, the world, the religious world cannot hate you. The religious crowd cannot hate you, but it hates me because I am a witness. I'm the living example of it that these people's works are evil. Is he talking about people that are running around and as sinners? No. Because you've heard me say this. He never calls sinners sinners. He calls them the lost sheep of Israel. The religious leaders called them sinners, and he repeated that one time in John 50, but he, he didn't call them sinners. He said, I come to seek and save those which were lost. Jesus said, the world doesn't hate you. It can't. The religious world doesn't hate you. It can't. But it hates me. Why does it hate me? Because I'm come to testify and to reveal that their deeds are evil. And he's looking right at the religious crowd. Are you with me? Yes. Now let's go to John 17. Less than three, about three years later. So Jesus is praying this prayer to his father in the garden of Gethsemane. And this is what he says. While I was with them, which was his disciples in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me that I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture may be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things that I speak, that the world, that they may have my joy and joy in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. On his way in, he's talking to the disciples like I'm talking to you. The world doesn't hate you. The religious world doesn't hate you. They think you're kind of cool when you go along with their dirty jokes and you go along with a little this and that. Oh, they think you're cool because everybody in the church does that. No, they don't. But Jesus said the world doesn't hate you, but it hates me. You boys go do what you need to do because if I go there, then, 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 then it, will, it will expedite, it'll get off track what I'm called to do. So you boys go do what you need to do. Go back in Bethsaida and do what you need to do. But as far as me, I cannot go because I go, they'll kill me because they hate me. They're, oh, they're not going to hate you and kill you. Yeah, we, we proved that wrong in Luke 4. But by the time that we get to John 17 on its way out, let's read this again. I have given them your word. He's praying to the Father. And now the world hates them. The religious world didn't hate these men until Jesus began to deposit his word into their lives. Am I preaching to the right crowd? I mean, I don't know. And everything is screaming and you go, well, this is too much. I'd rather go somewhere where we shout and hoop and holler. Yeah, good luck. How'd that work out for you? You went nuts. And I got you in a straitjacket here and I'm trying to beat sense into you. When you begin to have the word of God poured into you, as Jesus poured into these men, not only did these, the waters begin to part from them and separate from them, 
But now then, the world or the religious world looks at you different. Because the Apostle Paul said in the book of Corinthians 1, I have not corrupted the word of God. It's a Greek word called kapolos. And kapolos was used by a bartender. Not that you would know anything about that. But a bartender at first would start pouring drinks to full strength. But as these men become to get intoxicated, the bartender with kapolos, he would put three quarters liquor, one quarter water. And when they got that one down, kapolos means it would take one half a glass of liquor, one half glass of water. Then it went to one quarter liquor, three quarter water. Till they got down there, they were intoxicated. They didn't know what they were drinking. The apostle Paul said, I've never diluted the word of God from you. I've never shortchanged you. And I'm going to tell you straight up, I'm not in the business to, to dilute the word of God just because it may offend you. I'm not here to make you mad. But you may be mad for you got here. And I'm just out trying to help out the cause. And you may go home and say, oh, he irritates me. He may seem up. Can I ask you, what, did I, what have I said outside the word of God and Christ is king? I never told you to chop off your hair, get that makeup off, lengthen that dress, stack it a little higher. I never told you, you can't drive a Honda, you got to drive a Harley, which is a pretty good idea. But I never said anything like that. The more the word of God that dwells in you and I is the, the more the world will hate us. And that is a fact, Jack. So you just, you just, you just read it. When they begin, the world didn't hate you. He said, the world cannot hate you. Why cannot the world, why couldn't the religious people hate them? Because you know why? Because they didn't carry the word of God in them. They just followed Jesus. But I'll tell you right now, you don't have to tell me that you work at the sewer plant for me to figure out where you work when you come home. I'll smell it on you. And you don't have to go around bragging that I ate three banana splits every day for the last 30 days. I'll just look at your belly and figure out something's going on. When you really begin to be a good student of the Word of God by the Holy Spirit and, and learn and grasp things Two things are going to happen. People, number one, your old friends will part out of your way. And number two, you're going to, you're going to realize that, that the church people in the religious world that thought you were it don't think that anymore. And they'll say things like, well, they've, they've gone off the deep. They've lost their mind. I have lost my mind, but I, hopefully I've got the mind of Christ now. And I'm not a politician. I'm not running for anything. I don't need your approval. I'm a preacher of the gospel. But I am glad you're here. So now you see what's happened. Now then Jesus said, now they, they hate them. So I'll tell you a quick story. This won't take long, but since some people went to church here a long time ago, 20-something years ago, long time ago, friends of mine, even though bad thing happened, but it's all right. And I gave a lot of running to him that day at, Dollar General Dixon. And uh, he said, I run into somebody, a friend of yours. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, we were standing in line somewhere and uh, something was said. It was me and her and, and another elderly gentleman, probably about Danny's age, probably, on a respirator, probably. 
And this lady said something about glory to God or something. And he said, I turned around and looked at her and he said, you must go to church somewhere. She said, I do. She said, I go to the best church in Ardmore. He said, really? He said, I do. She said, I got the greatest pastor. Pastor, he preaches the word and he's not afraid to preach the word. And I mean, boy, she just lived it up. And I said, well, did she tell you her name? He said, no. He said, she's a Mexican woman. I think her last name was, was Landrum. And he said, I'll tell you what. He told me, he said, I don't know what's going on over, but evidently she feels like you're teaching the word and preaching the word. And he said, I knew you always did. Now, she doesn't know that I know that. But not everybody you're going to run into and say, where you go to church? <laughs> where? Oh, <laughs> Not everybody's going to be excited that you go to church here because most of these people in this town know that I am a preacher of the word. I teach biblical principles. And I know how to, how to dissect scriptures. And I, I won't allow anything illegal to come, whether it suits your doctrine or your way of life. It doesn't matter. This is all about Christ. This is all about his kingdom, his world, his dynasty. This is all about Christ, our king. And the rest of it, you can have it. Paul calls it done. You can have it. But not everybody's going to be excited that the word's getting in you. And I'm not going to raise, ask for a raise of hands, but hopefully you, you, you don't come here more than a week and, I, and I'm just going to overwhelm you with principles of the word of God. And for some of you, that's so boring. I understand. I'm going to get to that next week. Really? I shouldn't say that because you won't show back up next week. <laughs> So here's the $33 question. In some churches, here's the scripture. They, 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 they want to hammer out that we are not to offend anyone. Don't offend anyone. <laughs> I just got that gift. It's just in me. And this is the scripture they go and they use. And I know all this. This is found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 and 22. This is the Message Bible. This is the kind of life that you've been invited to, the kind of life Christ lived. Amen. He suffered everything that came his way. Amen. So you would know that it, that it could be done. Amen. And also know how to do it step by step. Amen. And he never did one thing wrong. Amen. Not one said anything amiss. Boom. I believe it. So they say, well, so you can't offend anybody because Jesus never offended anybody. Uh -oh. Hold on to that. <laughs> Hold on. Yeah. Now, you just read that he never did anything wrong. You just read he never said anything wrong. You just read it. And so now the church is telling me, oh, you can't offend anyone. That's not even scripture. Luke 17 said, it's impossible for you to go through this life without offenses. Now you know why people run from me. I'll talk to you. I'll glad to have a conversation with you about anything. So now then, the question is, which is a $64 question, did Jesus ever offend Anyone. Oh, baby. Right now would be a good time to buckle up and brace yourself. So I'm going to talk about one thing, then we'll go home and we'll pick it back up in a week or two. 
So for these people to get the idea that you can't say anything, you can't offend anybody, you can't say that and say that and say this, I got a Greek word for you, baloney. That's it. The Bible said, oh, touch not my prophets and do my prophets no harm. But the Bible says also don't touch the unclean thing and come out from under the world. So which is it? We don't have a right. And my objective here is not to deface and, 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 and demolish any preacher that comes on television because I'm not insecure nor jealous, but I'm going to tell you right, right now, if, if the thing's a lemon, it's a lemon. And all these isms, whether it be Mormonism, Catholicism, Pentecostalism, Baptism, we talked about all those isms two weeks ago. If it's corrupt, if it's a lemon, it's a lemon. Let's just get everything out on the table and let's talk about it. Let's just look at it. David said it. He said, search me. See if there's anything that's in me. It's a, it's a Hebrew word for an autopsy. Let's get it out in the open. Let's don't guess about it. Let's look at it. What's wrong with that? Why did God give you a brain? Some of you feel like that when you got saved, we checked our brains in. Now just operating the spirit and the spirit of goofiness. He wants us to have power, love, and so forth. A sound mind. Yeah. So did Jesus ever offend anybody? Yes. Oh, can, can we look at it? I guess. Matthew 15, 1. Then the scribes and the Pharisees, who were from Jerusalem, came to Jesus, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the traditions of the elders? For they do not wash their hands and eat their bread. You see the problem here? Does anybody besides me see the problem? They're not talking about the law of Moses. They're talking about a tradition. We're not talking about, we're not talking about anything that's breaking the law of God. It's the tradition of the elders. The word of God doesn't say anything about this. This is probably where they get godliness is next to cleanliness or cleanliness next to godliness, probably. But you know, they said, why is it that your disciples doesn't wash their hands when they eat bread? They, they are transgressing the elders, the tradition of the elders. The problem with this, they watch this, they equated traditions with the word of God. I refuse to let that come to this church. Your little hiccups and stereotypes, whether it be Pentecostalism or whatever it may be, don't equate it with what God's word says. So boy, I mean, they got their feathers in a ruffle. I mean, they're, they are roused up and said, how dare you transgress the doctrine of the elders? Why do they do that? And, and so this is what this conversation is all about. They held the traditions equal to the law. So what was Jesus' response to their traditions? Let's read Matthew 15, 3 through 6. What's this? So he's going to give them an answer. So he said unto them, why do you, crack knuckleheads, why do you also transgress the commandments of God? Because your tradition. You're the one that's messed it up. For God commanded, saying, honor your father and your mother, and he curses his father and mother, let him put to death. That's what the scripture says. Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5, Leviticus 20. But you say, whosoever says to his father and mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift from God. 
then he need not to honor his father and mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Watch this. Hypocrites. So can I explain this to you? He said, me? You're, you're, you're the one that has equated your traditions to the law of God. Let me tell you what the law of God said in Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5, and Leviticus 20. This is what it said, to honor your mother and father. Amen. Long live for your life. Now, I want you to hear me loud and clear. And everybody that is listening all over the world or in the United States, because they're going to hear it, here is this. What the Jews were saying is this. Because they were so greedy that if your mother or father was in need of financial help, and you refuse to help your mother and father because the temple, tax temple said, you're going to give it to the temple and we're going to put it somewhere in case we need it in, in, a, in a later date and time. You've chosen the tax temple over the word of God. Now get you a better translation and you'll read this. The message is a good one. And they're having a conversation to this. The temple was so greedy that they changed the rules of the law of God, said this, honor your mother and father, and whatever your mother and father may need, you make sure that your mother and father is taken care of because they are, that it's honoring me. If you honor your father and mother, you're honoring me. But they said the temple made a, we're referred to, they're going to make a, a, an exception to the law of God that you don't have to give to your mother and father even though they're in need. You can just give it to the temple and, and they, it's in a brass box and they drop brass coins in a brass box that you could hear it all over when you dropped it in the brass box. There's a reason why they did that. Kind of like ringing the bell. And the Jews made an exception and what they're saying is this. You can basically do whatever you want to because the Jews gave us permission that we don't have to honor our father and mother. We can just do what the Jews in the temple tells us to do. We don't have to live by the commandments of God because I go to a church that says we can do whatever we want to. See, this is boring and long to some of you, but it's okay. Because sometimes when your father says no, you'll go ask your mother. And Father is God and the mother is the church. And sometimes when, when Father God says no, you'll go find the church, which is, represents your mother and see what your mother has to say about it. And some of you know, like me, if my father said no, then I went to my mother. Woo, there was a, there was a meeting of the mind somewhere. <laughs> How many people today that even though God says you can't do it, it's best that you don't do it, but they'll go find a church that says, oh, go ahead. We'll cover your back. Everybody else is doing it. Hypocrites. Hypocrites. He called them hypocrites. And when he said hypocrites, did he go, ooh, sorry, that just slipped out. Religious leaders gave exceptions not for taking care of their mother and dads as long as it would benefit the temple. Now let's close with this. Watch this. Matthew 15, 11, 10, 11, 12. I, I, I wanna, next week I'm going to talk about what goes in the body and what comes out. It's the, same, it's the same context, same thing. He's calling them hypocrites now. 
And when he called the multitude to himself, that he sends them here and understand. Same conversation. Same people. Same crowd. Same people he just called hypocrites. Then when he called the multitude to himself, he said to them, hear and understand. And it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the, man, out of the mouth that defiles a man. Verse 12. Then his disciples came to him saying, do you know? Can y'all read English? The disciples are looking around and said, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard you say that? And you know what Christ says? I'm so sorry. Did I say that? I didn't mean that. So what did he actually say to offend them? You got to back up two verses. Look at verse eight and nine. Jesus looked straight dead in the eye of these religious leaders that's carrying Bible tapes and books and Bibles and said, these people, as Isaiah got it right, he said, these people draw near to me with their mouth, talking about God, and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Look what the message says. These people, these religious people, they make a big show of saying the right thing, but their heart's not in it. They act like they're worshiping me, but they don't mean it. They just use me as a cover for teaching whatever suits their fancy. This morning, I want you to know Jesus' purpose wasn't to offend someone. It was just to reveal the truth. By the way, John 14 and 6 says, He is truth. So, did he ever offend people? Yeah. He called the Greeks and the Syrophoenician woman a dog. He called her a dog. I've called you a lot of things, but I've never called you a dog. But, but he used that in a good framework, and we'll talk about that. He, he didn't do it to denounce her. He was giving them a picture of what dog means. Coonan, undomesticated, wild. And she's here scavenging. But what I want for her is more than just scavenge out of trash cans. I want to give her the bread of life. I want her to come to the table and eat of everything that God has to offer rather than just scrounging through the garbage cans. How is it this morning as we close that these people that represented the church and represented God and the heritage of God from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that when they heard Jesus, they hated him? So this morning, 
we we're learning and we will learn parting of waters, dividing waters that, that when you begin to get the word of God in you, watch this. Now I'm not, I'm not even going to look at you because I, I'm not making fun or lie. I went to Assembly of God Church. It's okay. It's okay. But when I got, when I got a little bit of understanding, they lied. They didn't lie about Jesus, but they lied about a whole bunch of stuff. They equated traditions with the Word of God. So one time, you, you don't know this, but I, I, I told you, one time I went to a group of men to get us some type of a Christian worker's license, and I told you that, and I, I felt like the Paschal Lamb himself, and blah, 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 blah. So I met with Aubrey Newber, the head of the Sins of God one time down here. And I asked this question that was a life of the lost rally and, and they were on a soapbox. It doesn't matter. There's about 40, 50 men. But I asked this question to these guys that really wanted to hang me out to dry. And the Bible says to talk about divorce, remarriage. In the Sins of God, Pentecostals, you, you, I don't know how it is now. I heard some changes, but I don't know. But they were very adamant that if you or your wife were married, you cannot be a licensed preacher. Now, they'll let you carry another tag, but really that just comes with a second-class citizen. But they wanted their ministers to be perfect. <laughs> Excuse me. Did I say that? Oops. So right in the middle of this conversation, that, because my wife had been married before, and I mean, boy, they were just, they were really been raking people over the coal. And if you've ever been to Sin to God's Church, you know, you know I'm not making this up. I'm just telling the way it is. But little did they really know that a five foot ten keg of dynamite was fixing to blow up their doctrine. So we got all these guys, all these educated men in this room, and I ask one simple question. Because Timothy says you've got to be the husband of one wife. Now we don't know if that's polygamy or one at a time. We feel like it's one at a time. Now we understand back then it was polygamy was involved, and there might have been some polygamy involved, but we feel like it's one at a time. I understand. So they base their whole foundation on their ministry this, that, that you or your wife cannot be married twice. If you do, you cannot hold her credentials to the same of God as far as an ordained minister. And boy, they pride themselves in that. And if you're a assembly of God, I hope I ruffle you and irritate you. Amen. <laughs> and so among these men, I just raised my hand. I said, well, I just got a simple question I want to ask y'all. And they got their glasses looking at me, you know, and here I am a nobody. I said, I just want to know how many of you guys here that never been married before? I mean, you're preachers and evangelists and got ordained. ordained. I said, I just want to know before I leave, because Arbor Newman was a friend of my father's. And I said, I just want to know how many was, have never been married before? And there was about seven. And then I said, you have violated the word of God because the apostle Paul said, you must be a husband of a wife. <gasps> Boom! <laughs> and all you can hear is pages rattling. <laughs> you must. You must be the husband of one wife. And if you've never been married, you're not a husband. You, you have violated the Word of God. And out the door, I passed through the water. Never looked back. You know what happened? 
This is what I'm telling you in the nicest way. They equated with traditions with what the Word of God says. And we're not going to do it here. We're going to be carriers of the Word of God. And if your denomination messed you up, I understand. If their theology got you confused, I understand. But the first time you, you stood and said, I need an, I need an answer of this theology that we're, you're trying to get me to buy into, and they just tell you to shut up and sit down, I just get up and walk out. And if you have a question for me on theology or thought process or thinking, I, I invite your questions. I invite them. I love you. But I want you to know that the danger that Jesus said that you are equating your doctrines of men to what the word of God. And he said, you are a hypocrite. And the disciples said, I think you offended them. And he passed right through the waters. So this morning, our job here as followers of Christ, we're not trying to, I'm not trying to offend anyone. All I'm trying to do is pour truth into you and truth will defend itself. Amen. Father, this morning that through the simplicity of your words, that we just ask you the next few weeks just to continue to remove the layers of the scales of our eyes that have kept us from seeing you in a full spectrum. I repent this morning through the years if I've ever equated the traditions of, of my denomination to what the Word of God clearly states. I just didn't know. We repent because we've been, all of us, most of us been raised in a, in a formal tradition of men, religion. We've been taught their ways. We've been taught their values. We, we've tried to connect dots. We've, we stretched it, tried to make it fit. But I'm sorry this morning as a whole if we've ever equated our traditions to your word. You're nothing but truth. You're nothing but truth. And you came to this world just to reveal truth. And the most offensive doctrine that we will learn in the weeks to come is the doctrine that Christ is truly the Son of God and offended men everywhere. So help us as we leave this place that wherever we go to be carriers of your word. And as we walk in our community and we walk in situations, those waters will part out of our way. And friends and people that want to attach themselves to us that they'll step aside. That spiritually, through your baptism, you were parting waters that we could spiritually cross from the natural to the supernatural. And we're well on our way. Thank you for all that you're doing. We love you. 
And we give you thanks this morning, in Christ's name. And all the people of God said, amen. amen. Turn about two people and say, Ron's really not that irritating. He kind of is. Stand with me if you would, please. In God good. Let's be a light in a dark place, can we? Communion servers, please make your way. Stand for truth. Stand for righteousness. Don't let anybody ever corrupt with man's doctrine and man's theology equated with the Word of God. That night, Christ sat with his disciples and he took two sacraments that was well known to the Jewish community, but not in this manner and not in this meaning. He said, for 1,500 years, you've been celebrating the first Passover with the unleavened bread. But Jesus said in John 6, your fathers did eat of the manna that fell from heaven and they hungered. But the manna that falls from heaven, which is my body, and if any man shall eat of me, he will never hunger again. And they thought that was weird. And he took the cup and he lifted it up and he said, for 1,500 years, you've been celebrating the blood of the lamb that was shed and his blood was taken in the shape of a cross and put on the doorpost. And when the death angel, the Abaddon, would come that night, he would pass over that home. But Jesus said, now my father will take my blood as the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world and he'll put it in the shape of a cross that Mark Boyette and John Jones and Mike Spells and Danny DeVorg. The day will come where these men's sins will be forgiven. You do this in remembrance of me till I come. Father, this morning we ask you to do something that only you can do. Bless this bread and bless this cup and let it have spiritual significance in our life. That we're going to be carriers of your word and your word alone. In Jesus' name. Amen.